If you have your Bible today, turn with me to Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 21. Exodus 12, beginning in verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over that house and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which is the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord. Well, our passage of scripture today focuses on the most important thing in the history of Israel. In that event, God liberated some slaves. They were just a bunch of slaves. There was no uh, organization among them. They just served as slaves. He delivered them from their Egyptian oppressors and constituted them as his own nation. The passage focuses on the miraculous power of God. And we see a group of people, of course, that are helpless, just standing there until God mobilizes them and draws them together. But the power of God is introduced into this hopeless situation. And we see that against the power of God, the once mighty arm of Pharaoh, became very puny indeed. On that crucial night when the nation was born, a religious celebration was instituted. The institution was called the Passover. The celebration was to serve as a constant reminder of what God had done for and continued to do within the people of God. It's easy for even the most exhilarating experience to become a faded memory if you don't kind of renew it on a regular basis. The Passover was designed to keep alive this memorable event in the minds of all of the people of God. Because of the nature of the celebration, the Passover became a central source of religious education for the children of the Israelites. There were no books for the parents to use to teach the children. The story points out to us that the Passover was to be celebrated in a certain way, not some haphazard way, in a certain way. The elements of the meal related to the historical event that had taken place just before them. 
and were to serve as a tool to instruct the people about God's deliverance of his people. The Passover celebration was intended to be a family affair, each family together observing the Passover. The nature of the celebration would stir the curiosity of the children, and they would ask questions naturally. And then the parents could take a time to teach them the religious truths that the Lord wanted them to have, a time of education for the children. As we see in this passage and in others, it was the responsibility of the home to provide religious instruction to the children. And the father was to lead the way in this regard. He was to take the main load and deliver it as they educated their children together. As long as Israel continued this practice, she remained a strong nation. But when she stopped worshiping Jehovah and stopped being concerned with the instruction of their children, then the nation began to fall. There is a weakness in our society today. I think everyone here will agree that our society is certainly not perfect. In fact, it's a long, long way from it. I believe one of the weaknesses is the fact that we have a tendency to ignore the responsibility of teaching our children in religious matters. We have developed a system of surrogate teachers for our children. We have school teachers that teach the three R's. We have Boy Scout leaders. We have baseball coaches. We have basketball coaches. We have football coaches. We have track coaches. We have swim instructors. We have dancing teachers. We have piano teachers. And we have Sunday school teachers. We have changed our roles as parents to the role of being a provider. We provide the money for all of these lessons. We provide the transportation for all of these lessons. There is one area that remains important for parents to have the major role for instructions, and that is in the area of our religion, our faith in Almighty God. Most of us have withdrawn from that responsibility as well. We leave that responsibility to the Sunday school teacher and the preacher. Well, I must confess, if you expect us to be the sole provider of religious matters to your children and grandchildren, then you are asking us to do that which is impossible. We have your child 45 minutes a week. And then, of course, you go and see the grandparents on one weekend, and you go and take a little short trip on another weekend, and the task then becomes even more impossible. If you, as a parent, do not accept responsibility to reinforce the work of the church in the home, then, folks, we're not going to end up in the right place. The most any Sunday school teacher, any public school teacher, the most any Boy Scout leader can do is to add to what's being done in the home. Most parents have expressed to me a feeling of being inadequate to sit down 
and teach the Bible uh, to the children. We talk about everything in the world, how the rays are going to do this year, how the bucks are going to do this year, but we don't talk a great deal about the Bible and what it can do in our hearts and in our lives. Dr. James Dobson, the professor of pediatrics at the University of Southern California, was asked this question. Should I allow my child to make up his own mind about all of these religious issues? Well, he answered by giving an illustration. He said a little gosling, which is a baby goose, has a peculiar characteristic that is relevant to this point. Shortly after the gosling uh, hatches out of the shell, he will become attached or imprinted to the first thing that he sees that's moving. From that time forward, he will follow that particular object when it moves into his vicinity. Ordinarily, of course, the gosling becomes imprinted to the mother goose, who was on hand to help hatch this new generation. But if she is removed, the gosling will settle for any mobile substitute. In fact, a gosling will become easily attached to a football that's being pulled by a string. A week later, he'll fall right in line with the football as it scoots by him. The gosling is vulnerable to imprinting for only a few seconds, and then it's gone. And that opportunity is not only lost, it's lost forever. In other words, there is a critical brief period in the life of that gosling when this instinctual learning is possible. Now, there's a critical period when certain kinds of instruction are possible in the life of a child. There is a brief period during childhood when youngsters are open to all the religious training you want to give to them. They'll just sit up and pay attention. Uh, They'll watch what you're doing and listen to what you're saying. Their concept of right and wrong will be formed. They are formulating during this time their view of God and what God is like and what God is all about. As in the case of the gosling, that opportunity must be seized in a certain time period. Not forever, just a certain time period. Leaders of the Catholic Church have been widely quoted as saying, you give me your child for seven years, And that child uh, will be with us for life. Their affirmation is usually correct. Because permanent attitudes can be instilled during these vulnerable years. Unfortunately, the opposite is also true. The absence or misapplication of instruction through the prime time period, may place a severe limitation on the depth of the child's devotion to Almighty God. When parents say that they're going to withhold indoctrination, 
They want their kid to grow up and believe whatever they want to. They're on their own. We're just going to let them do that. Well, you're almost guaranteeing them of a non-Christian future. The Bible places the responsibility on the family. The home is to be the foundation for teaching your children about the Lord Jesus. I want to say to you that no matter how conscientious you are to this, you cannot be guaranteed a success. There are so many factors that influence the outcome of your child, who they make friends with, where they go to school, what profession they go into, who they marry. What uh, they do in all of these instances has a great deal to say about how we turn out. We cannot guarantee that your child will be godly and wonderful and meek and mild and all of that. But it seems like to me it would be a lot better if we could say when the child does leave home, I gave it my best. If we can say that, then we've done really what God wanted us to do. There comes a time when we have to turn our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren over to the Lord and pray the years of our investment in their lives will pay off. Cindy and I went to a huge Baptist meeting in New Orleans years ago. Dr. Dobson was the main speaker. He talked about the family, and he gave some statistics that nobody in the room liked. He said individuals only have a 6% chance of accepting Christ as their Savior if they once pass their 18th birthday without doing that. He also said that 33% of all children in America were born out of wedlock. Last night I checked uh, on that number to update it, And now, guess what it is? It's 40% of all the children in America are born out of wedlock. What in the world are we teaching our children? Dr. Dobson told a story at the convention that really touched my heart. I got my pen out and I started writing just as fast as I could. He said in a particular family, the grandkids decided one day when they were all playing, that they wanted to go to their granddad's farm. And they wanted to work out in the fields for a day. They'd never done that. In fact, they'd never worked at all in the fields. It was so different than what they did in the city. They thought, well, that'll be a blast. We'll just have a, a great time out there doing all this stuff that they do. Well, the granddad had worked in the field on that farm all of his life. The kids wanted to go into the fields and pitch some hay. They'd heard that all their life, but they'd never done it. They wanted to ride in a wagon. They thought, this is really, really going to be fun. The grandkids, all eight of them, wanted to go out into the fields and work. They said, we want to work. We want to work a whole day in in the fields. Well, the granddad did not want them to go. But the grandkids kept begging and pleading, please let us go. We've never done this. This would be fun. We want to do it. Well, finally, the granddad said, okay, on one condition. 
He made the eldest grandson promise that he would keep all of the children out there in the field until 5 p.m., that they could not come back early under any circumstances. Well, the eldest grandson said, uh, Granddad, I'll, I'll see to it that that's what we do. Well, they left, and at first it was a lot of fun. They just had a big time. They laughed, they ran around, they rode on the tractor. That was so uh, much fun. They'd never been on a tractor. Had a big time doing it. They lined up to do that, and they just wanted to do it more and more. It was exciting. While all this was going on, the sun was getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Everybody started sweating. Some of them got hay down their backs, and it itched. And then everybody said, you know, we've been working for two hours. We're, hard, we're, we're tired. This is hard. So all the kids started complaining. They all wanted to go home. It wasn't fun any longer. Some of the grandkids even started crying. A few hours went by, and a storm came up. And then everybody was scared. They all said, let's go home. The storm's coming. The eldest son said, no. Granddad told us we need to stay out here and work until 5 o'clock. And that's what we're going to do. The dark clouds grew. The storm grew. And then everybody was crying. It was scaring them to death. But they stayed. They cried. Everyone complained. They didn't do much work after that. Finally, 5 p.m. came and they went home. Granddad was there to meet them when they got home. He was proud of them. He had Cokes and cookies for every one of them. They had worked more or less, probably less, all day. They began to feel real proud of themselves. I worked all day in the field. That's what they were saying. They had stuck it out. The grandfather told them all, this farm has been successful through the years because we have stayed in the field. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. We worked hard and we stayed in the field. Today, so many are inclined to give up on the family idea or give up on the religious instruction for the children, or give up on Christian parenting when things get a little tough, let me encourage you to work hard at that and to stay in the field. God will bless those that do that. Over my 55 years of pastoring churches, I have done a lot of funerals. I mean a lot, hundreds. It's interesting to listen to the children talk about their parents who just died. During these times, the children will express to me their gratitude for their parents taking them to church. I have never had a child say to me, I'm so glad that my dad brought me the current favorite toy. They never never said that. 
ever, not one. But do you want to hear what those people said? They said, my parents really believed in God. I liked that about them. My parents really loved this church. I'm glad about that. My parents always took me to Sunday school. And then they said, my dad and mother really took time with us to lead us down the right road. After I was hearing all of this from people down through the years, I was realizing that in the vast majority of the cases, the people that were talking to me were not doing that with their children. Their children weren't getting that. I'm aware that their children would not be able to say the same thing about them someday in the future. They are not giving to their children what was so dear to them. Folks, we have to tell the good news to the kids. We have to stay in the field. This morning, if you're here and you've been visiting with us for a period of time, the gospel has been explained to you. You put your faith and trust in Christ. You ask him to forgive you of your sins. He does that. And you become a part of the family of God. Maybe today would be the day that you'd give recognition of that internal fact in your life. You'd like to come forward and take a stand for Jesus. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. You know, we have folks that visit with us for a good while, and after they visit for a month or five months or eight years, they, uh, <laughs> they decide, you know, I really like this church, <laughs> and they come and join. Well, I'm trying to get a number of you to kind of short-circuit that a little bit and uh, join today. Uh, if the Lord's leading you, please step out. Come and join with us. We're trying to do a lot for the Lord. And we could do it so much easier if you'd help us. There's a a lot of work out there in the field to do. And we pray that you'll come and join your life with us as we try and take a strong stand for Jesus. I'll be standing down here at the front. If the Lord leads you, you just slip out and come forward. Let's stand together as we sing.